0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Restaurants employ over 15 million people nationwide, and two-thirds of all restaurants are independently owned and not part of big chains. Yet currently, these small businesses are not represented in government relief negotiations. ROAR is working to change that by fighting for relief opportunities for all restaurants. ROAR is advocating for an eight point plan in New York State that will allow restaurants to reopen and rehire when the time comes. Dozens of industry leaders have signed on to the plan, like Namwa Tea Parlor, Field Trip, Momofuku, and many more of your favorites. You can join them at change.org by searching for ROAR relief opportunities for all restaurants.
2: Hi, I'm Eli Sussman, owner of Samisa Restaurant and host of The Line. On today's episode, I'm joined by Christine Sikowski and Josh Culp, chefs and co-owners of Sunday Dinner Club and Honey Butter Fried Chicken, both located in Chicago. They are like so many other small business owners in America right now, advocating for their livelihood, speaking up on behalf of their employees' health and human rights, and fighting to save their restaurants. In the face of a brutal crisis, a disorganized federal government, and an ever-changing reopening timeline, we discuss the early weeks of reacting to COVID-19, their current plans, and their hopes for the future. Christine and Josh, welcome. This is Eli Sussman with a special episode of The Line, and I am recording from my apartment in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, and I'm speaking with Christine and Joshua in separate places in the Chicago area. Welcome. Thanks so much for taking some time to speak with me about your business and what is going on in Chicago as a result of the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, Christine, where are you right now?
3: Uh, Hi there, Um, Christine. I am in the Irving Park neighborhood of Chicago right now, currently.
2: And Josh?
4: Um, I am sitting in my 18-month-old son's bedroom. His name is Wolf, and I'm looking at his stuffed animals here in Chicago, in Logan Square. Our restaurant is called Honey Butter Fried Chicken. We actually have another business called Sunday Dinner Club that does small dinner parties, honey butter, um, serves fried chicken with butter on it. It's pretty tasty. Um, we, uh, probably started to think about coronavirus. Um, I mean, it's been probably six or eight weeks. Honestly, I'm, I'm sort of a news junkie and, um, various, uh, you can speak to my therapist, but various things in my history have caused me to, do lots of uh, catastrophe planning uh, in our business. So um, we started to think about um, what might happen in terms of, um, you know, the resources we might need to have on hand and um, what some of the eventualities could be Um, several weeks ago. um, I don't think anybody was able to anticipate what actually happened. Um, And, you know, it's, it is amazing to think that it's only been about three weeks since I thought um, and Christine and I thought, wow, maybe we could just take a couple tables out of our dining room and everything will be okay. People will be six feet apart. No problem. Um, So I think it happened very quickly. We got the sort of social distancing guidelines, um, immediately started to try to create more space in our dining room. Um, That quickly, um, we really realized pretty quick that that wasn't going to work. We have a very small restaurant. We're extremely high volume. Um, We built our restaurant to be a little sleepy place. And and we're very fortunate it's turned into a very busy place. But our kitchen is just packed full of cooks um, at all times from 7 a.m. till 11 p.m. And we realized pretty fast that we were going to need to make some dramatic changes to keep going. Um, So we did make an adjustment and a pivot pretty fast to delivery and pickup only. Um, That probably started... Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, Christine. Right when the governor of Illinois issued um, the stay-at-home order, uh, and we were sort of deemed an essential business, um, we we stopped doing uh, in-house dining. Is that right, team?
3: Yeah, we we kind of went through three pivots. The first one was what Josh said about, and that was probably the s- the second week of March, where we um, started distancing ourselves and um, you know making sure everyone's wearing gloves constantly and um doing sanitation procedures beyond our normal obsessive sanitation and then the stay at home order happened the week after that and we went to delivery and pickup and really quickly realized then that we were going to have to slim our menu down because even with delivery and pickup I mean our business you know does 30 to 40% delivery and pickup anyway And we still needed a full staff and we couldn't figure out how to keep them distant. So within the first week of moving to pick up and delivery in the same week, we also cut our menu down by 60%. And the second week of that, um, we cut our hours. And then in the third week we were still rolling in. We're like, this doesn't feel like we have no like proper education um, and guidelines on how to operate as a business, a restaurant, a food service business in a pandemic. And as much as we were keeping the, you know, amount of people in our restaurant to close to 10 and keeping distant and wearing gloves and, um you know, keeping our delivery drivers and pickup drivers outside and no contact. It just like, we still could not figure out how to be, 100% safe if there is such a thing. So we, we, we decided after three weeks of, adjust, of like constant adjustments to, to shut it down. So we went from like full service to nothing in about three weeks.
2: I know it wasn't the same amount of sales that you were doing, but were you reaching a level at which it wasn't a full on crisis mode or when you lost your dine in business, were you already pretty much in a crisis mode? Um,
4: so, I mean, I, you know, I still think it's something that is probably ultimately going to be our new normal, at least for a little while. Um, for us, uh, we were able to, in that first week when we switched to delivery and pickup only and still had our full menu and our full hours, um, we were able to replace all of our dine-in business with pit takeout and delivery. Um, for us, we were doing well, um, with the revenue coming in, um, once we switched to, a little bit slimmer menu, but actually the the bigger change was, was shorter hours. And the reason we did that is just again, because our kitchen's so small, we had a crew in the morning that would come in and prep. They would exit the crew that would come in to actually execute. Um, the service would come in rather than having everybody, we, you know, we generally have a prep crew and a service crew there during lunch and dinner. And we just decided to um, uh, divide them up. Um, and, you know, that, certainly put a hit or a dent into our revenue just being open for shorter hours. But some of that was um, our adherence to the social distancing and the safety standards that we, we put in place, Um, you know, based on our fried chicken background education, we know all about international pandemics. Um, We uh, kind of realized that um, we weren't able to put out as much food with, you know, fewer people and people standing six feet apart. Um, you know, and we were actually working with our delivery, the couple delivery companies we work with with DoorDash and Caviar, um, to throttle our orders because, um, we didn't want to get overwhelmed, which we realized once we sort of get to that crazy moment with a hundred tickets on the board is when we all start to forget our social distancing rules. Um, and, and so we really kind of slowed things down so that we would maintain our sanity and maintain our sanitation, um. So it definitely put a dent in sales. I think there's a lot of um, – we're very fortunate that our business, um, you know, has a good pickup and to-go component. And I think, you know, we, we certainly are considering ways as we go forward because we do we are aware that, that there's a strong likelihood that um, we're going to have to be having these adjustments for, you know, some time to come that uh, we're thinking of ways to get back open at some point um, and I'm sure that we saw a glimpse of what that future will look like in those last
2: couple of weeks. So before we talk about what it may look like to open back up and planning for that, I'm curious about what the discussions were internally before you went to your staff and let them know that you were going to close. When did you uh, – It was if it was just the two of you or if you have another business partner, maybe you ran it by – you're a lawyer or a a trusted advisor. So if you can tell me a little bit about what that process was, where you actually were making the call on this such and such a day, we're going to close down, uh, without really knowing when, when you may reopen, what was, what were those conversations like?
3: Well, I think chaotic, I would say we probably, um, realistically talked about it every day for two weeks. Um, and had um, daily ops meetings with our um, culinary director, our director of operations, our accounting manager, our GM and our HR manager um, every day at like two o'clock. And we're like, should we stay open? Should we close? If we're going to stay open, how do we need to adjust? What? How does everybody feel? Um, and it was really. On Exhausting. one hand, very helpful. <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, really helpful to have. It not totally fall on uh, the decisions to fall on Josh and I, but also um, I think exhausting for us and the team. And and I think ultimately, you know, we took a lot of their feedback very seriously. But ultimately, Josh and I decided that it's our decision to make. We're the owners, and people are looking to us to um, be strong leaders. Now, I, I can speak for both of us when I say this is probably. Without a doubt, the biggest challenge we've ever faced as as business owners in our entire uh, careers and um, it was it was a very I, mean, I don't have to say it was a very difficult decision, but we definitely asked um, um, our manager or at our manager level for sure, but we also polled our staff a couple of times and I'll tell you um, a number of them really didn't feel comfortable coming to work. And of course we supported that and realized that if we were going to stay open long-term, if, you know, we did have those moments where we're like, well, this is actually working. And we feel like the people that are here feel pretty confident about it. But like, then a couple of days would go by and we're like, oh my God, it's just too hard to control. Right. Uh, and I think overall um, the worst part was before we made the decision. Um, once we made it, and told everybody it was a lot easier to deal with. And I think, um, you know, obviously we, our biggest concern was our staff and, and what what was going to happen to them and, you know, them not having jobs and having to go on unemployment and can we pay their benefits and what are they going to do about food and what if they get sick? And just having that constant worry and anxiety um, and stress was just like so overwhelming that eventually we just said, you know what? <laughs> we got, we got to just shut it down and we're going to do everything that we can to make sure that they're okay. Um, and their safety became, you know, our bigger concern.
4: And, and I just add to that, I think we, the, the final decision was really made right after the CARES Act passed, um, you know, which we were waiting for, for a week. Um, and, uh, you know, we could get into how inadequate it is, but, um, you know, we really, we looked at it as though we had a couple ways to go at that point. we One way was if our staff is laid off and goes on unemployment, that they're um, going to get fairly generous unemployment benefits um, with the extra $600 and from the from the federal level. Um, and then the other way would be if, if the PPP loan would work for our business, um, that we could keep them on payroll that way. So we sort of, at that point on that weekend, made the decision um, because, as Christine said, we were agonizing over... Um, being, res- you know, honestly being res- the people, the two people responsible for, um, 40 some employees, um, physical health and also then their financial health. Um, you know, it's, a uh, we were, I, and I, I tell you, like, I don't know how else to describe it, but, um, I'm, I'm still angry. Um, I, I, might be for a long time until some change happens in this nation, but, um, I'm angry as a, as a small business owner and a, a guy uh, who happens to fry chicken that um, we were put in the spot to decide whether or not you know forty eight people would go without pay or health benefits um, versus their physical safety um, that 's not a decision that uh, we um, or any individual business should ever have to make um, there's sh- There really needs to be a safety net in this nation so that we can make decisions for the health and safety of our of our employees and no that if we have to shut down, to do a, do a pandemic or whatever, that they're not going to lose their health benefits, that they're not going to be destitute, um, at least for some time period. Um, and I think once we got sort of that assurance uh, at
2: some level, um, we felt better about closing. I'm I'm curious what you both are feeling as small business owners who who have a voice but maybe you feel like your voice has not been heard at all or maybe there's been uh, an organizational uh, push in Chicago and you do feel like your voice has been heard. So if you could speak a little bit about uh, what it has been like to traverse all these difficult uh, post-closure Government programs um, as a a small business owner and someone who is visible in the community, um, but may not have a ton of power to get stuff done. So, what has that been like?
3: A few weeks ago, um, one of our colleagues in Chicago, or two of our colleagues, Jason Vint of Giant Restaurant and Jason Hamill of Lula, um, messaged us and said, Hey, uh, we got to meet and talk about how we're going to handle this as like a community. And uh, mm-hmm. you come over to the restaurant at two o'clock on a Sunday and we're all just going to meet and talk about what's going on and what we can do. And um, I showed up to this meeting and there were like, I don't know, 75 chefs there. Um, like every uh, major chef in Chicago and business owner um, in the Illinois restaurant association and a couple of other uh, journalists. And we, You know, after voicing our concerns as a group, we had decided that we were going to use our voices as one and put out a call to action campaign um, to our governor and our mayor to um, help us, really. And um, we decided that the most effective way to do this be um, with one voice and one image and um, one message that was posted at the same time. Instead of being um, a bunch of voices just sort of (laughs) screaming into a canyon, um, we just decided to do it all at the same time. And so we launched this campaign. um, And we think you ask if we were heard. I think we were absolutely heard. Um, I think that that, um, you know, we got word Mm -hmm. that the mayor and the governor heard our statements. We had hundreds of chefs and customers, um, concerned citizens, media journalists posting our campaign. Um, they heard it, but, um, I think that the, the change and the, and the asks that we have have been slow to, to come in. So I think there's two parts of it. Like, are we being heard? I think, yes, at this point, um, a week later, by the way, we also launched a, uh, national campaign. Let's build us momentum, created another campaign uh, that was more aimed at the federal government. Um simultaneously a group called the independent restaurant coalition formed and they actually have a lobbyist, um, in Washington, DC that's, um, fighting on behalf of like all independent restaurants in the country. So we're kind of following their lead, um, launched this huge, too small to fail campaign and like thousands of chefs across the country posted it. So like, it felt very powerful and, uh, um, and I, we really do feel like we were heard, but the action the response that we've gotten is, yeah, we've heard you, but they haven't really totally delivered in a way that we feel is effective or good enough. Quite frankly, um, you know, we have the, the the PPP loans, but as we're looking at the fine print and all of the dozens of um, requirements and restrictions and and rules that go wrong with it, it's like, it doesn't really actually totally work for a small restaurant business that has no idea when they're going to reopen um, with how many stuff and what the economy is going to be like when we do. And it's just been a little disappointing to see the responses like, yeah, we do and we we understand what you're saying, but then not to to take the full action um, has been a little, uh, I don't know to speak for Josh, but to me, very disappointing. Um, and um, we realize that everyone's kind of scrambling right now, but a lot of this has made me lose some faith in our, definitely our federal government. Sure, I think our state and city governments have been doing a much better job of helping us at least have resources um, and rent abatements, and um, the events process has been a lot easier than it have been. But on the on the federal level, we have not seen um, the relief that we need for our self business and our workers, uh, unfortunately. Yeah,
4: I definitely think at the state level and the city level, we, we see leaders that actually are concerned with the well-being of yeah, our, um, their citizens. Totally. And that's not something we can necessarily say at the federal level, unfortunately, or at least the executive level of the federal government. Um, but yeah, I mean, to Christine's point, it, the, the CARES Act is just, you know, it's great for businesses that are struggling, but still in business. Um, but, you know, being offered, um, eight weeks of payroll um, for a business that's already closed that has literally no idea when they could reopen, and, and what, the day we get the money, we have to start the payroll process. But we've already laid everyone off, so we would have to bring them all back. And, and let's be honest, we have employees who are doing better on the um, federal with, with the added bonus of the federal unemployment, which is great. Um, you know, our concern is still at that point making sure that our employees have health insurance. So we are working out ways to um, figure out how to continue to cover people's health insurance. We're recovering health benefits for our team right now in full. And, and one of the things we pride ourselves on at Honey Butter is um, that we, you know, we've always had strong benefits and um, we've always been a no tip restaurant. And um, we, uh, you know, have, you know, currently have an employee out in paid parental leave who's still getting his paid parental leave. It's something that we, take seriously, and we um, have always put a big emphasis in um, our accounting and finances and understanding them we have weekly huddles as a team and I think it's helped us sort of um, even in this insane situation be able to be on top of our of our finances but you know it, it can only last so long. Um, we don't know how many months we can actually be closed
2: we're going to take a quick break. Stick with us.
1: During this time, it's more important than ever to support our friends and neighbors in the restaurant industry. Restaurant Workers Community Foundation has set up a national COVID-19 crisis relief fund. The money they raise will provide direct relief to individual restaurant workers, support other nonprofits serving restaurant workers in crisis, and offer zero-interest loans for restaurants to get back up and running. Visit restaurantworkerscf.org to donate today. And if you need a little extra motivation, you can DM your $20 donation to RWCF's co-founder, John DeBerry, on Twitter, and he'll give you directions for making a signature quarantine cocktail. Donate now at restaurantworkerscf.org.
2: Welcome back to The Line. I'm your host, Eli Sussman. On today's episode, Christine Sikowski and Josh Culp, co-chefs and co-owners of Honey Butter Fried Chicken and Sunday Dinner Club in Chicago. Now, back to the interview. I know that we would all rather be open and at our restaurants and having our staff there, but if there is any, and it's okay if there is not, but if there is any, um, positive takeaways that you have been able to find over the last week or two, maybe there's something related to the business that was always on the back burner that you've been able to think about, uh, or maybe there's, uh, just a home project. So if there's anything, uh, any type of, positivity or silver lining that has come out of this and you'd be willing to share it um and if there isn't one that is also totally okay um but I'm curious if there's anything like that that's happening for either of you right now
4: um I would say there's plenty of silver linings um for me you know I and I also am aware that you know I'm an extremely lucky person um I have a home to be in and I have access to incredibly good food um, thankfully with our farmer network and sources in our region so um, it turns out I still love to cook Um, I'm at home cooking all kinds of fun things every day Um, that's been really wonderful and learning some new things too Um, being able to spend time with my family has been amazing and also just actually realizing how important it is to take care of um, myself physically and mentally um, and emotionally I think sometimes with the restaurants it's we're just so crazy that the the thing you put on the back burner is yourself. And right now there's not much to do other than, um, you know, spend time with your family and think about how to take care of yourself. So um, I've been doing a lot of that, which has been great. And I think for as far as the business goes, you know, we are always in this mode of, you know, which I think a lot of businesses are of just trying to improve and work on things and uh, make our business better and stronger. And I think, We do a lot of great things in that end, but I also think sometimes we can get bogged down with so many things that we're worried about that a crisis like this really puts into focus what's important. And obviously what's important on a personal level, what's also important on a business level, um, what's important for our team. Um, I think it really has, uh, been, um, we've really been able to sharpen, um, you know, what we want out of our companies. Um, And and I think, you know, Christine and I are kind of letting it simmer, but in terms of where we go as a company, um, you know, presuming that we do get back to business at some point in some way that resembles whatever normal is going to be. um, I think um, I have a feeling we're going to have some uh, sharper ideas on where we want to go next.
3: Yeah. And I think also it's, it's really kind of cast a a bright light on, on inefficiencies in our business. I mean, we all have them. And like Jeff said, we're always looking to improve, but slimming our menu and cutting our hours, which isn't aren't things that we've decided we're going to do going forward, but it was really, um, uh, really informative to see like how much more efficient we could be um, with the elimination of certain menu items and the way that we set up our restaurant and how we packed things to go and down to the packaging that we were using. It was just really, super informative and we're like well we should remember this and um when we get back open like we might make some of these changes more permanent just to make our business better um i think on a personal level there's been a, a couple of things i i Josh and i have been um working on uh somebody asked us yesterday like what are you doing with your time now that you don't have a job and i'm like well we're both working full time um we're just working on saving our business and doing webinars to figure out how to deal with these loans and tax credits and um, also just continuing our advocacy and political action work with our chef community in Chicago. Um, We are trying to organize formally um, to be a force for our city. And so we've been volunteering our time to um, get this um, coalition set up um, as a resource for our entire city. Um, And colleagues, restaurant workers and uh and 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 such. And that's been a very rewarding thing to um be a part of. And I honestly don't think I would have had <laughs> this much time to to devote to it um if we were still open. And that doesn't mean that I would want it a different way. I would prefer to be open but but using this time to say let's let's try to be you know everybody is trying to figure out chefs want to help people and serve people. And we're the first people that donate gift certificates and, and, and donate our services to events and, and show up when people are hungry, right? Like, so we're, it's hard for us to not jump in and want to help. But being able to have some some time and energy to um, help our colleagues and um, our, our industry here has been very rewarding as a silver lining. And also I've been um Josh is the sourdough uh bread expert and uh our sous chef Alex in our business and I've never been very interested in it other than the eating of the sourdough bread. But I gotta say I did make sourdough bread. I made some focaccia last week and it was very uh exciting for me to be able to do that. So there you go.
4: I just wanna add one more thing. I'm, I'm you know, I might be naive. Um I've been hopeful before in my life, but I I really do hope, um, and and think I feel that um, there there is change coming um, in this nation. I really uh, could not imagine um, there not being some effort or energy to shift um, how healthcare is provided in this nation. I, you know, the idea that it's connected to employment um, seems to be um, incredibly stupid um, in the face of a pandemic that might. Cause you know twenty percent of our population to become unemployed, um, and I think having some kind of safety net um, that we can turn to—not um, a safety net that's devised by Congress in a matter of a few days—that um, honestly isn't very well done. Um, and that, you know, and, and to some extent, it's because they had such little time to get it done. We need a thoughtful um, system that um, protects workers and protects businesses and protects our citizens. Um, in times of extreme crisis, so I'm hopeful that we'll see some of those changes as we go forward.
2: I agree. There, I, I'm hoping that there will be large fundamental shifts based on uh, what people have seen occur and what they're they're hoping to avoid happening either again or or in the future. Sort of building upon what you just both have been speaking about, uh, either. You know, finding efficiencies uh, within your business. Uh, you know, cutting the menu and and other things along that, and and having more time to focus on it, thinking about it more broadly as the future of the industry. Uh, besides maybe uh, universal healthcare or a universal basic income, wondering if you would be willing to make a prediction, and it could be negative or positive of where you see things uh, changing within the industry. Uh, it could be, uh, Chicago specific, but, um, maybe more broadly, if you think that there's, um, a change coming in the industry that, that COVID has kind of been the reason why that change might, might occur, um, would be interested to hear what you may think about the future and how it will change.
4: the only thing I know for sure is that, um, People more than ever now do I appreciate spend sitting at a table eating food with my wife and my son, Um, and I think um, one some way somehow we will return to um, a world where people um, are able to commune um, at a table and have a a beautiful meal. And I think you know whether that's in two years when this is hopefully not as big of an issue anymore, um, or we figure out another way sooner. Um, I think that we're all going to be appreciative of of being able to do that. Um, You know, I certainly think, um, you know, the short term there's going to be, unfortunately, I think some enormous um, changes. I mean, I I think a lot of restaurants are are going to have a hard time functioning, um, you know, partly because there's going to be less of of a pool of diners because I think a lot of uh, income is going to be down. And I think, People are going to be out of work. Um, So I think higher end restaurants are going to have a a tough time. Um, I think in the kitchen, you know, having to figure out how we're going to handle social distancing and all of the protective measures we're going to have to take and being able to still put out tasty food in a way that feels um, soulful to us um, is going to be a real challenge. Um, But I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, there's another, there's going to be another side of this um, and that there'll be, an even bigger appreciation of, of dining in a, in a way that we've been doing for thousands of years. And, and last thing, and I'll stop talking is, um, I've read some things about, you know, fears about the, that the future is going to be nothing but Amazon and, um, you know, Popeyes, uh, and businesses that are, you know, have got, uh, you know, sort of a robotic structure to them. I I, I think, um, at least, and maybe I'm in a bubble, but, you know, i am connected to lots of farmers um, in our region. I think that um, we've seen pop-up groceries um, at amazing places. I live a block from a place called Middle Brow Bungalow that has the best pizza. Um, and they have converted into a, a small sort of grocery store that produces really beautiful products. Um, and we have farmers that are instead of delivering to restaurants because they're all closed, have started delivering directly in a, in a wholesale sort of way to individuals out of the back of their truck uh, pulled over in an alley somewhere. And I think um, there's all kinds of uh, ways that um, we're becoming strangely more connected to our local economy and to our, um, to our earth, um, even in the time when we, are supposed to be totally disconnected. So I'm hopeful on some of these things.
2: Christine and Josh, are you selling merchandise or gift cards or is there a way to, um, make a donation to the restaurant or anything along those lines that you can, that you want to shout out?
3: We, uh, our online store is still open. (laughs) So it's hottiebutter.com and we still are, um, selling merch. Um, we are, um, through Sunday dinner club in Chicago doing a once a week, um, no contact pickup family meal. Um, that's cold with reheating instructions so we can minimally have, um, one to two employees, including me and Josh, <laughs> um, in our kitchen prepping this food and, um, for pickup once a week. So that's the Sunday dinner com. Um, Josh, what am I missing? What uh, Cam,
4: our, our chef Cam oh, yeah, has a line Cam. of kimchi's called Camchi Kimchi because his name is Cam, um, and he has a bunch of merch up on his website um, as well, kimchi dot I believe. Um, yeah,
3: and coming soon, maybe, maybe very soon, the Camchi Club.
4: We're yes, going to do Cam-Chi like a month Camchi
3: month. of the month.
4: We do have a GoFundMe too for honey butter, um, you know, and we've been get, getting distributions of that out too. Our team. One of our employees is managing that completely. Um, we have some other ideas for how to um, make sure that we have enough cash and revenue to um, continue to cover our employees' health insurance as long as we can. And um, you know, to some extent, um, our insurance company requires that employees work uh, full time. You know, to get access to health benefits, they waive that for the month of April we're hoping they're going to waive it again in the month of may because it would be uh, a shame to not be able to pay for health insurance when we're willing to pay for it. Um, so we have a bunch of things like that, but I, I, and I don't want to sound like a broken record. I think we're incredibly appreciative of all the, um, charity and love that we get from, um, people in the world and in our community. But, um, the, the last ask would be to really try to make your voices heard that, um, We need a way that we don't have to depend upon the goodwill of our neighbors to ensure that um,
2: our team has got their basic needs met. Christine and Josh, thanks so much for taking some time to speak with me. It's really wonderful what you're doing with your business and how you're working to actively share your voice and create a platform so that you can advocate for your employees, Uh, I'm wishing you a lot of uh, health and safety for both of you and your families and your employees in Chicago, and uh, appreciate you taking the time to join me today for this special episode of The Line on Heritage Radio. The show has always been about letting chefs and restaurateurs tell their stories. How long hours, hard work, climbing the ladder, and being a little crazy can get it done in our country. The line has been about showcasing the trajectory while illuminating entrepreneurial drive all by looking backwards at the choices each guest made to get them to where they are now. But with millions of hospitality workers unemployed and hundreds of thousands of restaurants dark and quiet, The Line, for now at least, is going to be focused more on looking forward. The show has always been about the guests making choices in an effort to achieve the best version of themselves and their business. And this show is still about making the best possible choices for your business, even when it's the toughest choices under the worst circumstances. In the upcoming weeks, I'm planning on sharing more stories of chefs and owners taking on the COVID-19 crisis with vigor and focus, all in an effort to keep going, to keep moving forward, to reopen, to help all of us return, if even just a little somewhat, back to normal. You can find all of our COVID-19 coverage by going to heritageradionetwork.org forward slash COVID-19. Thanks for listening. See you next week for another episode of The Line here on Heritage Radio. The Line is powered by Simplecast.